You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain. TV slash gold. I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks. I know. I know it's a little bit embarrassing to be talking about some of this stuff, but heck, folks, this is life, right? This is life. And I'm going to help you be able to navigate all of this stuff with the information that I am giving you. Whether you're going to have a kid, you have a kid on the way, uh, maybe your grandkid is on the way, and you want to be able to talk to your son or your daughter about these type of things, folks, they are options. And so providing you with options, they may become solutions for some of your problems. So Maggie ends up testing positive for GBS. Not uncommon. It's like 40 to 50% of pregnant women end up testing positive. So what they want to do is they want to start pumping antibiotics into your system to protect the baby. So I start doing all kinds of research on this. And I go even into the CDC information. That's going to be like the most mainstream information out there. And what I find, folks, is that by the time you whittle down the uh, number of babies, and, and a lot of babies have the GBS transferred to them, but it does nothing. It doesn't harm them. And some will get sick, and some can actually have life-threatening illnesses or even die. But when you boil it down, it comes down to like 1 in 10,000, 1 in 50,000. Now, you would say to yourself, okay, well, if they can stop that 1 in 50,000 chance, am I going to do it? Well, there's a 1 in 50,000 chance that I'm going to accidentally drop my baby on its head, you know? So you have to start being realistic about some of these stats you see. And you also have to realize that this stuff was tested by these CDC guidelines and CDC-funded studies that were done. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. So I start doing research into the effects of the antibiotics on the child. And so what I find is that it actually lowers the... um, the immunities that the child builds and it could stunt their uh, development of immunities to various diseases uh, for one, two, three, four months. Okay, so I said, all right, this is a problem. Now, I wanted to look at the long-term effects of the antibiotics, uh, but there are no studies on that. So the CDC sits there and tells you to take the antibiotics, but they haven't done any long-term studies on the effects to that child. I don't know. What does it cause? Autism? Does it cause uh, cancer? I mean, who knows? Who knows? Because they haven't done the studies on that. So you can see where the priorities lie. Of course, our government is giving out money to grow babies in synthetic wombs, develop designer babies, do all sorts of transhumanist experiments on people. People, but they haven't done a study on the long-term effects of pumping the mother with antibiotics. So again, we sat down with our midwife team. This is about a month before the expected due date. They said, listen, both of you need to start taking these probiotics. You need to take garlic. You need to take vitamin C. You need to take 
grapeseed oil extract, and there was a couple of other things we took as well. And I'm going to eventually have one of the midwives on the show and our doula. I'm trying to set that up maybe for next week so we can go into detail about all this stuff. Uh, a few of them are actually experts in homeopathy as well. So they've got all types of tricks for you guys that we're going to share here on this show, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, we decided with them that we were going to base that on risk as well. So the main idea is that if the water breaks at least 12 hours before mom is actually giving birth, that's where some of the problems uh, could really happen, where the GBS could transfer to the child and the risk of them getting a deadly disease or dying pretty much on the spot, uh, it goes up. Um, and so they said, here's what we normally do. We use this risk-based assessment that they use in the United Kingdom. Here, they just give the antibiotics to everyone. If you're in the hospital, uh, you really don't have a choice. So what they said was, we like to look at the temperature. We look at when the water broke, uh, a couple other things, uh, because what can happen is if an infection ends up inside the uterus, that can end up causing problems, and that's where the baby can get sick. And when we get to that point, we'll tell you, and then we think the risk of not taking the antibiotics outweighs the possible rewards of lowering the immune system for the child for the first month or two. So we said, okay, good. And this was the advantage, I said, of having this team versus an OBGYN or working with the hospital directly because we were able to get realistic input, people basing things on not alternative science, I think, but real science, non-Rockefeller science. So that was worth it, folks. So there you go. That's what we did for everything, uh, for all sort of the pre-planning going up to birth. Now, the cost of the midwifery service was $6,000, and the cost for the doula was $1,000. Now, our insurance does not cover the doula, but we're supposedly going to recover about 50 to 70% of the cost of the midwife services. Now, if we don't, that's okay. We said it was worth the investment. We knew that going in. We paid cash for it. Uh, if we do, that money just goes into an account for William. So that's fine as well. Uh, so either way, it was worth it. We were willing to spend that money out of pocket. Now, if we went right to the hospital, we work with an OBGYN, it would have basically been about a $1,500 copay. And then the cost of a birth in the hospital is anywhere from, I don't know, ten dollars to $30,000 now. So we could have went that route, but we decided to invest in the midwives and it was well worth it. So here's what happens, folks. My wife goes into, I'm going to skip forward and I might go back, but I want to start to lay out what happened during the birth so you understand why we ended up in the hospital. So my wife goes into labor at about 11.30 p.m. on November 10th. I was actually down here in the studio recording a show. I go upstairs. She tells me she had two contractions that she had never felt before, and that was between 11.30 p.m. and about 
about midnight, right? So I turn on the old iPhone. I break out this little rinky-dink contraction tractor uh, 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 tracker that I had downloaded that our doula recommended, and I start tracking these contractions. And so tracking the contractions. And so this happens all the way up about uh, until 6 o'clock in the morning on November 11th all right and so they're getting stronger and they're getting closer together but she's still able to move around we both kind of were falling asleep in between they were about 15 minutes apart and about six in the morning she goes oh my god i think my water broke well we found out later it wasn't that it was basically uh, just baby urine and so uh, so she ends up uh, we get up at six that was it we didn't sleep since then and so at six o'clock in the morning we're kind of walking around doing stuff i upload a couple shows she wanted me to come down here and record birth without violence but i just couldn't leave her so we baked a polish cake i don't know we ate her last uh, big meal that she was going to be able to get down and we're just waiting and all day they're kind of growing they're getting closer together and we found it to be kind of strange because we had taken all these classes and we knew how contractions were supposed to build and all of a sudden she gets this stretch of about an hour where her contractions were about 50 seconds to 70 seconds each and they were about three minutes apart so we're sending screenshots of the tracker to our doula and midwife the doula says all right listen i'm gonna head over there so she comes over the house uh, again her name is Alyssa one of the best people I've ever met in my life. So Alyssa comes over and she's hanging out with Maggie and we're watching. Uh, contractions are growing and growing. And finally, Alyssa says, listen, we got to get the midwives in. So it's about 1230 in the morning and a midwife named Heather. She's also a nurse. She's on call. She comes over to the house. She starts checking out Maggie. She calls in her midwife assistant who is not a nurse. Her name's Nikki. She comes over to the house. We start setting up the birthing tub. I have to get it all filled up with hot water. I had a big projection screen mounted on the wall, and I had a looping uh, three-hour video of a hike through the mountains that I got for my wife. I actually set this all up on our anniversary, October 13th, and surprised her and showed her what I had set up for her because she was going to look at the birth as hiking a mountain. So we got it all set up. She gets in the birthing pool. Around this point, um, she is eight and a half uh, centimeters dilated. And so, and we know this from uh, so, some of this stuff is a little personal, but th there are certain things that we caved on that we were not planning on doing, like a vaginal exam. We were not going to do that. We ended up deciding to do it. We trusted our midwives. And because the contractions were becoming irregular, we really wanted to see where we were at. So at this point in the birthing tub, she's at eight and a half centimeters and her water breaks. So we think, oh, this is great. We're getting close. We don't have to worry about the anti antibiotics because she's probably going to give birth in the next few hours um, and this is where things took a turn for the worse maggie could not keep down any food 
Okay, she couldn't keep down any food. At this time, we're about 26 hours into labor. Uh, She had vomited. I had given her a popsicle. She couldn't even keep that down. I was hydrating her with water and coconut water for the electrolytes. And so then they're like, uh, you know, what are we going to do? The midwives are monitoring the situation. Alyssa is working with her, getting her in different positions, trying to get the contractions to become more regular. And at this point, things just kind of started to spiral uh, out of control. Now, Maggie's getting very tired. Contractions are irregular. She's hanging out in this uh, birth tub. At this point, I said, I don't think this is a good idea. It might be relaxing you. Let's get you out of there. So we get out of there. I'm hanging out with her on the bed. Uh, we had our guest room set up because the bed is, uh, the mattress is lower than our bedroom. And so we have that set up. And then we're going back into the living room. She's working with the midwives and doula. And everybody's trying to get these contractions back up. On track folks but they're just spacing out she's running out of energy at this point it's six seven eight o'clock in the morning and we could not get the contractions to tighten back up and at this point they're really hurting her though they're strong like very strong contractions uh every few minutes but then every time they would get together in a bunch like she would have 10 contractions three minutes apart and then it would space out to five minutes seven minutes ten minutes and no one could really figure out what was going on now we're up against the clock because the water breaks you know at um whatever it was seven eight o'clock in the morning or something the water breaks and now the clock is ticking on this gbs issue and whether or not we're going to have to hook her up to antibiotics folks i'll leave it right here for that cliffhanger when i get back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the birthing hour. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, so now it's like 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and the uh, midwives, right, they're starting, I could tell they're starting to get worried. At this point, I hadn't slept for God only knows how long. It had been over 24 hours. I jump in the shower, and I'm trying to wake myself up. And I've got to be there to support my wife. And she's kind of in a daze. I see her in pain during the contractions. And then in between, she's able to talk to me, but she's not able to eat. Uh, I keep giving her a kiss, telling her I love her, telling her how strong she is. And so now the midwives are going to switch shifts. So they bring in a midwife named 
Chris, and then a birth assistant. Um, I think her name was Samantha. She's newer. Nice girl. Nice girl, though. So Chris comes in. Now, Chris is really interesting. She had worked in hospitals uh, as a nurse, I think as a nurse midwife in a birthing center, and also as a midwife, and she semi-retired. She came back, actually, to help and work with Riverside, where she had worked with uh, for years, but she's back giving them a hand because they were, they were shorthanded for a while. So Chris comes in. We really like Chris. And Maggie really trusts her. So Chris really is a hands-on. She has like sort of this managerial style she does. Very soft-spoken voice when she's coaching you. So she gets uh, Maggie on the ground and they're doing some stretches, doing different things. She's really trying to move this along. And it's very much a blur at that point because there's, there's emotions were so high and I remember at one point we end up back on the bed and Chris is flipping Maggie from contraction to contraction on each side uh, between her knees, something called a peanut ball. It's like two rubber balls inside of a tube. They got it between her legs and they're kind of flipping her back and forth and Chris is trying to calm her down and get her to sleep between contractions to build up her energy. And Chris is well aware that Maggie hasn't been able to keep any food down. And so Chris tells me, lay down over here. I want you to go to sleep too. We need you to uh, get some rest because this is going to get rough if she ends up getting to the pushing stage and you guys are really tired. So I didn't want to do it, but I closed my eyes and it felt like a matter of minutes. But the next thing I know, I woke up about two or three hours later. I was actually sort of upset that no one woke me up. And uh, they're about to put an IV bag into Maggie. Uh, and and they're telling me, okay, this is what we're going to do. They did wake me up to tell me this. They said she hasn't been able to eat. She's running out of energy. We think her uterus is really tired. We've got to get some, um, some juice into her. So they tap her with the IV. Uh, it's basically a sugar water, and they've got that flowing into her. Now, remember, the midwives are really trying to go 100% natural when at all times, but they're trained to utilize a lot of different tools. So they were giving her uh, homeopathic uh, drugs. They were giving her uh, herbs and different things while I was asleep. Nothing was working. She couldn't hold them down, actually. She was vomiting them up. So at that point, they had no choice but to put the IV in her. So they put the IV in her. They get her down with a bag of juice. And at this point, um, she's back to pushing again for several hours. Uh, it's not getting anywhere. The contractions are now spreading further and further apart. At this point, she is only seven meters dilated, and she's starting. her cervix is starting to swell. So they start to get worried that there's a possible infection coming, uh, something going on. And so uh, Chris pulls me aside and talks to me and says, listen, I know we had talked about this, uh, but I think you should go with the antibiotics right now because it's been so long since the water broke, and now the GBS risks outweigh the risks of giving the baby antibiotics because if the baby gets this infection, it could be really bad right now because we don't know how long the baby's going to be inside her because she's not near the pushing stage and now the cervix is closing. And I think there may be an infection um, 
because the cervix was now like swelling and closed back down to seven centimeters. So we decided, okay, we lose this battle. All right, this is a battle that we are going to lose. And so Chris says to me, listen, if God forbid we have to transfer her to the hospital, which is the last place we wanted to be, they are going to make her take the antibiotics. So we are better off starting them here at home than letting the hospital start them there because then we'll have a little more control when we bring her in as to what we can say we want them to use. So Maggie and I make a decision and we do it. All right. So loss number one, that was a big dagger in the heart, something we did not want, but you know, in the moment you weigh the risks. Now, If I hadn't done all the research I did and shared it with Maggie and we hadn't come up with a plan, uh, if we went with an OBGYN, she would have been on this from the very moment it started. In fact, if we went with an OBGYN, once Maggie was over 40 weeks, uh, once she hit her due date, they would have been pressing to induce her, which is to give her Pitocin to force her to have contractions and have the baby. They would have been pressing for a C-section at 41 weeks. We uh, went 42 weeks is right when she started labor and she didn't deliver until 42 weeks and two days. So in my mind, we had already beat the system in that regard. So I said, all right, well, we've done our research. I know at least the short-term risk is the immunity issue. We don't know the long-term risk. But at the same time, if Maggie ends up with a full-blown infection right now, she could end up dying. Uh, The baby could end up brain dead or dying. So we're going to have to roll the dice. Now it's in God's hands. So we do the antibiotics. Uh, At this point, Chris says, she took the IV bag real fast. I'm going to do another IV bag because we really need to get her hydrated. And then I'm going to run through another set of exercises to try to get the contractions back up and we'll see where we're at. So she gives her another IV bag. And uh, I'm sorry, folks, it's emotional, right? So she gives her another IV bag. I could tell Maggie was not herself. Um, She had sort of lost her stamina. The woman who made me hike seven miles when I was in Poland up this steep mountain while she had a baby in her belly and told me I needed to keep going, that woman was slowly fading away. The warrior that I knew was disappearing Uh, her will to fight was fading and it pained me to see her there with the IV bag and the antibiotic bag and her arm in our own house. It was like watching, uh, Muhammad Ali get beat up in the corner of the ring. And so she said to me, I'll do anything. I'll get a C-section. And I said, no, honey, no, no, no. And we had many conversations i was staring in her eyes i was trying to give her hope i was just trying to get her to eat something and she wouldn't and i could see that she was in pain but the biggest thing is she was so tired she was just running out of energy and then i always knew inside her body she could have this infection that was brewing that could cause a lot of problems and i didn't know all the ramifications of what would happen in the hospital if she had the infection but i had done a lot of research and i was pretty aware that it was not going to be pretty uh 
And so what was nice about the situation we were in, again, folks, building a team around you. We had Chris, who had worked in the system, inside the Rockefeller Medical Industrial System, uh, who was willing to lean towards uh, some of the Rockefeller medicines, right? And then we had Alyssa Ardula, who was 100% natural. Alyssa will tell you, just stay put. Don't do anything. Your body will do this for you. So I had the two extremes there, right? Not the extreme, because Chris wasn't extreme. She leaned towards natural, but she was willing to lean into Rockefeller. And so I had both voices. I had two different consultants, two people I really trusted uh, to give me advice. And each time I would ask Alyssa, do you think we should do the antibiotics or do you think we should do the IV? If Alyssa said yes, then I knew it was the right choice because Alyssa would normally say no. But in the heat of the moment, Alyssa had to be realistic and not idealistic, right? So it was great to have those people around us and we couldn't have done it without them. So what happens next is Maggie is just really running out of energy. The contractions are not um, are not uh, speeding up. They're not coming together. They're not getting closer together. So finally, Chris says to me, listen, I think we've got to transfer to the hospital. We're approaching 48 hours. Uh, this is 24 hours since her water broke. Her cervix is swollen. She is closing up. This is not good. This is getting into a very dangerous situation. And the last thing we want is to have to transfer her in an ambulance because of an emergency. That would not be good. We would be locked out, meaning the midwife and the doula. We wouldn't be allowed in the room with her. We wouldn't be there for guidance. We wouldn't be there for support. And it could get pretty ugly pretty quickly uh, if we are not there and you are this tired. You're not going to be able to make the right decisions. So if we go now, we could end up having some control over the situation. So I gather Maggie's things. We did not have a hospital bag packed. Maggie did not want one because she said if she had one, then that would give her a reason to go. So she told me not to pack one uh, leading up to the birth as we were preparing for this. So I pack a bag. I put everything in there that we need. And uh, I'm heartbroken because I feel like I failed her. Somehow I couldn't coach her through this. And now we are in a situation where we're going to the last place we want to be, which is the hospital. So I'm tired. I have, uh, you know, just adrenaline pumping through me. I'm trying not to get upset, but I'm also mad at the midwives for not being able to coach her through this. Um, and so I'm starting to get a little bit of an attitude. But I'm trying to hold it together for Maggie and for our unborn child. And so I end up getting her in the car. Chris says, listen, this is where you're going to go to Frederick Health. That's the hospital we went to. I'm going to meet you there. You're going to go in the main entrance. We're going to pull up front. I'm going to put her in a wheelchair. We're going to get her in. You're going to go park. Alyssa and I are going to bring her in, meet us inside, and then we'll go in together. So now... 
I end up driving my car to the parking garage. It was probably the longest seven minutes of my entire life. I'm thinking they're going to steal my wife. They're going to sneak her away. I'm starting to get a little paranoid because I'm so tired, uh, thinking they're going to usher her in to get a C-section, which is really the last thing we ever wanted. And so everything is just spiraling out of control. And I feel like I don't have control. And I said to myself, Dustin, I, I remember I looked in the mirror. I put the sun visor down and I looked in the mirror and I said, you talk about on your show that you can only control the things you can control and the things you can't, you have to put them, you know, in God's hands. Uh, don't be a hypocrite, you know, practice what you preach, get your shit together, go in there, be supportive of your wife and try to figure out the situation, the lay of the land, and let's get her through this the best way possible. So, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, we enter the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex, the place that I believe is hell. And I'm about to walk in there with very little sleep and my mind was not as sharp as it normally is. So, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, more on that. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. <laughs> 